how things are going now, shall we? Today we're going to read chapters 31 and 32, as I stated last week, and time to dive in. Before I do, I do just want to apologize for how I may sound. Um, my allergies are kicking my kapuda. Um so I'm just stuffy-nosed and I'm just trying my best, okay? So I'm sorry if I don't change the voices and do all of that as per usual. Um, I'm going to still try my best, but my throat's a little intense right now. Alright, but let's get into it. It itches. I didn't take you as a complainer, William murmurs, his hands hovering over my forearms. I'm not a complainer. Mm -hmm. William leans down to watch as the last bit of skin closes up over a fresh scar. He makes a twisting gesture with his wrist and the silver aether coating his fingers and my arm disappears with a quiet pop. That'll do. You'll wake up without scars. Try to keep my arms in good shape next time. I've been leaning over a silver hospital tray for 10 minutes as he worked. It feels good to finally lie back in bed under blankets. But then, the rest of the ache immediately becomes more apparent. I grunt when my head hits the pillow. William makes a soft, displeased sound. I can use Aether to heal those bruises. Heat floods my cheeks. The ones all over my ass and back? (laughs) I'm good. He rolls his eyes. I'm a medical professional, or I will be soon. Pre-med, in addition to being the scion of Gawain, remember? He wiggles his fingers. Double healer. So, I puff up my pillows around my head. You're saying that I should feel comfortable getting down to my skivvies with you? I'd never tell anyone what they need to be with comfortable with, William says. His gray eyes thoughtful. I was just offering context. If it helps... I'm happily in love and not at all interested. I grin, despite my fatigue. Oh yeah? Who's the lucky person? He's not legend-born, that's for sure. William laughs, warmly. Dating inside the order is nothing but trouble. 
I perk up. Well, why is that? Bloodlines, oaths, inheritances. Pick one. William pulls the table away and leans back against the other bed. Pages can date pages, easy. Squires dating squires is fine, but tricky. A squire's job is to protect a scion, and that bond is unbreakable, sacred. In battle, a squire can't prioritize their partner's well-being over their scion. And the warrior's oath is forever, even after eligibility period ends and the inheritance disappears. Who wants to be with someone who's already emotional and magically bonded to someone else for life? I grimace. That sounds awful. It is. You should hear the jealous snark that comes out of people's mouths at the selection gala. It's all order grudges and gossip and drama. But even that's just awkward and inconvenient. He shakes his head. Dating scions is a whole different ball game. I push up on one elbow, eager to learn more. Why? Sixty generations, give or take, of managing the bloodlines. It gets complicated. The regions had to step in and lay down rules at some point. Order law forbids across the bloodlines. So no hanky-panking between anyone who could become a scion or those kids could become a scion in the line of secession. If they didn't prohibit it, there'd be babies with two, three, four lineages running around. It'd be chaos, trying to track who be called next and how the bloodline will be preserved. It's easier for couples where pregnancy is 100% impossible. But for couples who could get pregnant, they're screwed. In the not fun way. That's awful, I know. Though it's sort of modern fin armor. The medieval ideal of court quarterly ennobling love that can never be consummated consummated sorry very romantic concept but back then but today there are rumors of a scion couple at another chapter who hid their relationship but the regents have spies everywhere they were caught and punished he furrows his brow at that last word i know that if i asked William would tell me what the regents do to the couples they catch. But the shudder that passes through his shoulders tell me I might not want the answer. The more I hear about the regents and the more I hear about how much they meddle in both once-born and legend-born lives, the more I hate them. Knowing that the chopper has spoken of the regents without a touch of fear, or at least deference, in their voices. Not Nick, not Sal, not even Lord Davis. Who are these all-powerful figures who keep the Order's records, control its bloodlines, and send Merlins out in the world like demonic assassins and hypnotists? I changed the subject. So, what about a scion dating their squire? Like Russell Felicity or Tuasa? William makes an iffy motion with his head. Scions dating their squires can work. But, imagine breaking up and then being bonded to your ex forever. I don't know about you, but I'd rather eat my own Aether Sword. Ah, is all I can say. Ah, she says. William lifts a mocking eyebrow.
as if this is just idle conversation and has nothing at all to do with her relationship to one scion in particular. Shh. William laughs again. I like his laughter. It brings small crow's feet to the corners of his gray eyes. So, he wiggles his eyebrows playfully. Shall I heal your ass or are you still worried I'm going to check it out? I sigh and reach down to tug my jeans off. You can check me out if you want. I'm not not cute. Ha! He says. I knew I liked you. Once I'm in my um, undies and on my stomach, William begins. The aether feels like heaven over my tender skin. I stifle a moan. You know, William says thoughtfully. While you're not as banged up as one could be from facing multiple demons, your vitals were all over the place when they brought you in. Apparently, somewhere between the graveyard and the lodge, I'd passed out. Nick had carried me the rest of the way, and then down the elevator to the infirmary. I'd woken up to Nick and William, bickering over whether the would-be king could stay in the room during my treatment. Once I opened my eyes, Nick had grumbled and left William to finish his examination in peace. William sponged off the muck, disinfected the wounds, and got to work. I'd guessed at first you would be in shock, but that didn't quite fit. High blood pressure, increased oxygen levels, shallow breaths, dilated pupils. Typical signs of an adrenaline rush after a demon fight. I see them all the time. Fight or flight responses are inherently draining. After an hour or so, vitals will turn to standard rages. But your numbers were subnormal. Pupils constricted, slow breaths, sluggish heart rate, low body temp. I chew on my bottom lip, remembering the shining red flames around my fingers and what Cell said about generating my own aether. Is that bad? Bad is a subjective term around here. William hovers over a particularly painful spot on my lower back. But it's not typical. It was like your system had fired so intensely that instead of simply leveling out, it puts you into hibernation. Firing intensely seems like the right way to put it. The first time in the shower, after the oath, I'd been terrified, overwhelmed, sad, but I'd been able to put it all behind a wall. Tonight, I'd been angry in the graveyard and terrified for my life with the hound, and the flames had faded away on their own. Cell's right. I truly have no idea how this works, and I don't have a lot of options for help. Cell has no interest in trying to help me understand, nor would I want to experiment with him to figure it out. I could tell Nick, but... He was pissed beyond belief tonight and scared after Tor's awakening. He and everyone else in the building are on edge. I don't know if it's a good idea to spring another surprise on him. Maybe Patricia? The door opens and Nick walks in. Hey, Will, is... I screech and twist into a ball, pulling the thin blanket up over my entire body. It's not fast enough.
Nick's face has gone summer strawberry red. He definitely saw my butt and my back and my bra straps and maybe some side boob. He chokes out a strangled, <clears throat> sorry, sorry, and he disappears into the hall, slamming the door behind him. Ah! I pull the sheet up higher so my face can hide too. William taps on the fabric like it's a door. Pardon me. I yank it down so that only my eyes are visible. What? His eyes twinkle. In, some, in past centuries, some courtiers wanted nothing more than t for an eligible king to accidentally see them naked. Shut up, William. <laughs> when I'm finally healed, all I feel is tired. I just want my own bed. I thank William and he walks me to the elevator. Nick greets us upstairs. His cheeks are still flush, but they're less summer strawberry, more peach. William squeezes my arm. When he steps back into the elevator to ride up to the residence level, he gives a wink before the doors close. Call me if you need anything, Claudia Matthews. Nick's confused expression bounces between the elevator and me, but I wave it away. William being William. I'm relieved when he decides not to mention in any accidental sightings of my flesh. Instead, he wraps me up in his arms and presses a kiss to my forehead. It's meant to be comforting, but his lips on my skin make me shiver, sending goosebumps down my spine. You sure you're okay? I nod and lean against his chest. Right now, I just want to enjoy the feeling of being folded into him, Bring, breathe in the clean smell of his new shirt. I could sleep for a full day, but I'm okay. He pulls back to examine my face, runs a thumb over my lower lip. I never should have let you go alone with Sale. It was my th rule three, and I broke it. He challenged you in front of everyone, I counter. It won't happen again, I swear it. He pulls me in for a soft lingering kiss to seal the vow. This boy makes my chest ache. Let's get you home. Early morning light streams through cracks between clouds, diffusing the open, quiet foyer with sleepy sun. We only make it a handful of steps before two figures sitting on a bench in one of the foyer's recessed alcoves stand up to greet us. I drop Nick's arm before the figures move out the shadows, and the small hmm sound of disappointment he emits fills me with warm, fizzy bubbles. Bree! Greer rushes forward with Witty beside them. Worry etched across their face. They wrap me in their arms, then pull back to look me over. Hell, foxes? Saul said they took Sal's Aether, Will Witty ask, right out of his weapons? Greer punches him lightly in the arm. We're worried about Bree right now, Whitlock. Witty flushes. Sorry. Y'all right there. Y'all right there, Matthews. I'm okay, really. I rub my healing, itching arms and I look down at the dimly lit foyer. 
All the other pages have gone back to their dorms, and the legend born are in bed in the two floors above us. Y'all didn't have to wait up for me. You and Sale were missing for over an hour, Greer says, not standing close enough to Nick to close the tension that their words were causing. And neither of you were answering your phone. No one knew if the trial was over, still going, or what. Then Tor collapsed right out front while we were waiting. Everyone started freaking out. Whitty notices Nick's expression and bumps Greer in the shoulder to cut them off. I turn their words over in my mind, speechless for a moment. I'd completely forgotten how the night started. The scavenger hunt. The trial. The tournament. Right. Nick fills me in while I'm still recalibrating. You, Vaughn, and Witty found far and away the most objects on the list. Followed by Sydney, Greer, and Blake. Carson only found two objects, and Spencer, a line appears between his brows, got pinned by one of Sale's hounds. They're both out. Down in the infirmary, William said that the king's mage hadn't come home yet. I wonder if he's off somewhere licking his wounds after the fight with Nick. It's only the combat trial left now, Witty says, stifling a yawn. I heard that's Thursday, with everything heading the way it is. Thursday, I croak. When Lord Davis announced the accelerated tournament schedule, six weeks has sounded like enough time to at least learn how to fight decently with one weapon. Maybe the Kojul. But today is Saturday. What could I learn in five days? What happened to six weeks? Nick stiffens beside me. That was before Tor was called. Sorry, Bree, Greer mutters, shifting his weight from one foot to the other. Witty winces, his expression sympathetic. They both know what I know, which is that there's almost no chance I'll do well in the final trial. Greer and Witty say their goodbyes and head out the front door. I watch them go, my heart sinking. I may as well quit now. Only if you want to, Nick says with a sigh, looping his fingers together. I send him a questioning look and he shrugs. I made a few calls while you were downstairs. I requested that one of the legions who trained me, one of the good ones, lead the training sessions for the group. Gillian sold. I trust her. Is she a miracle worker? The side of his mouth lifts. Better. The former scion of K. You don't need to win every match on Thursday. You just need to lose. Well. I sigh and shake my head. Losing well sounds a lot like regular losing. They are the same thing, he murmurs. His thumb passing over my knuckles. Believe me. <clears throat> we pause in the middle of the foyer and stare up at the windows as the sun creeps forward. In early morning, birds start their day. I glance at Nick beside me, his head tilted back and eyes closed. His blonde hair turned gold in the light. His face appears illuminated from within. I try to imagine him as a king in a painting, noble and stern. I can almost see it, especially after tonight. Maybe I should try to tell him.
explain what happened to me. Nick? Hmm? What Cell did was wrong. Nick tenses, but his head drops to stare at me. The mix of anger and fierce protectiveness in his eyes takes my breath away. My heart, slow as William said it was, wakes up like the sun. Ba-dumps in my chest. I ignore it, just to get this out. But I am lying to people. I'm not here for the same reasons as everyone else, and we both know it. Nick's eyes are twin blue moons, shining bright. What are you saying? What am I saying? That he has a point. I don't belong here. I'm a... I'm a distraction. The words feel true as soon as I say them out loud. Nick's head jerks back like I slapped him, and his eyes flash. Sale used his powers to directly threaten a member of this chapter. If you were legendborn, his oath of service would have burned him alive. Do you have any idea what my father would do to him if he were here? I blink, startled by his vehemence. Yes, but he thought I was here to hurt you, Nick. He was just doing his job. You said it yourself. I'm an anomaly. The things I can do. He presses a finger to my mouth. Not here. He's right. The echoing foyer isn't exactly soundproof if someone above opens a door. I lower my voice. Sal didn't hurt me. He's the reason you got hurt. He insists in a rough whisper. No, he's not, I counter. He laughs, incredulous, and releases me to tunnel both hands through his hair. How are you defending him right now? I'm not. Sal shouldn't have sent his hound after me, but he's not wrong to be vigilant. You didn't see those hell foxes, Nick. They'll eat the legendborn's weapons and armor, steal it away. Leave all of you helpless. Which is why I need to be able to trust my king's mage. And right now, I don't trust him. I don't. But he grasps my hands, his eyes turning, pleading in the dim light. If Camlin is coming and I become king, I'm going to have to make hard decisions, Bree. But they will never be the kind of decisions that make it okay for us to turn on our own or behave as badly as Shadowborn. I won't be the leader that allows our opponents to turn into turn us into reckless monsters. And that's exactly what Cell let happen tonight. He allowed his anger and fear to twist his perception of facts and turn him into his worst self. If he succumbs to he stops short. Grips my fingers turning them so he can press his lips to the back of my hand. That's not the type of warrior we can afford to take into battle. The words rattle around in my chest. What do you mean? What are you going to do? Are you... Can you... 
He rests his forehead against mine and takes a deep breath. I don't know what I'm going to do, B. The only thing I know right now is that we both need rest. We've been up all night. You need to heal. Your trainer will be here in 12 hours. I've got to call my dad by lunch. He presses another soft kiss to my cheek. Let me drive you home. I nod weakly because Nick's right. We're both exhausted. And maybe right now isn't the best time to have serious discussions about leading a kingdom or punishing a king's mage or what makes a person a monster. But nothing about how I feel, how everything feels, seems right at all. It's chapter 31, guys. We're going to take a pause, give you a moment to go and get you some more refreshments for chapter 32. It's not that long. It's uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. About 10 pages. Um, Let's take a moment, take a break, and we'll be right back. chapter 32 then we'll be back here next week for chapter 33 let's get into this thank god for saturdays i sleep until noon and even then i only drag myself out of bed because my bladder and growling stomach begin protesting with alternating pangs of discomfort i glance at my image in the mirror of the bathroom and shudder William may have healed my injuries, but I still look like someone who's been fighting hell creatures. I guess even Aether can't fix that. Between the tangled, sweat-matted curls under my scarf, and the bags under my eyes, and the morning breath, I feel like a hell creature. A hot shower, brushing my teeth, and a bit of water and leave-in conditioner on my hair do wonders. I'm still in my towel water dripping down my neck when I get a group text from a number I don't recognize. This is Toa, Pageland. Dinner's at 5 and the training rooms open at 6. League Rogers, Roberts and League Hanover will be joining us. Dress appropriately, don't be late, and don't embarrass us. 
As I walk through the drowsy campus toward the dining hall, I'm filled with quite awe at how, with all that's happened to me in the past week, the world keeps spinning. It's three weeks until fall starts, technically, but the oppression roar of late summer heat has already dissipated. The sky is a calm blue with a few clouds, and it's cool enough that I might need a sweater tonight. Somewhere in the distance, the Tar Heels marching band is rehearsing for the home game tomorrow. I pass by kids I don't know who are handing out flyers for their student group. A steady stream of students wind their way through the lawn toward the libraries to study. Because no matter what's happened to me, classes are still running. There's a quiz I haven't studied for in English on Tuesday. A trial I'm not ready for on Thursday. Mick, my boyfriend, partner in crime, co-conspirator who I want to kiss again, is one scion away from being called to the throne of a modern-day kingdom. A part demon mage claims I can create mystic energy inside myself, and he just might be right. But even if he is, I have no idea what I am. All of this, and yet, the planet still spins. My phone buzzes in my hand. It's Patricia, texting to ask if we could meet for a special session at the Arbitorium this afternoon at 1. I'm on campus already, so I accept it. I decided during my shower that even if I don't know Patricia well, I do trust her. Cell said my red flames break the laws of Aether as the Merlins understand it. Well, Patricia operates outside the Order's rules and uses root in ways that probably fall outside their laws too. She may not like the Order, and that's fair, honestly. But she's shown me more about my mother's secret life than the Order ever could. Understanding my magic could be the key to understanding my mother's own magic. And from there, how she might have gotten involved with the Order in the first place. Nick texts too. Just getting up, how about you? Same, heading to the dining hall for lunch. Want to meet? Sorry, can't. My dad's calling soon to get the full update about last night. Not gonna be pretty. I grimace. I can't imagine what Lord Davis will say. I wonder if Nick's going to tell his father everything that happened with Sal, or withhold some of the details, or wait until he gets back in town. I'm almost at the dining hall doors before it dawns on me that, out of the two of us, I'm the only one who has a reason to hide some of what transpired last night. Nick doesn't know about the red mage flames, so he has no reason to censor his report. It bugs me that even though I know he'd protect my secret, I don't feel ready to share it with him. But at least this way, he doesn't have to lie for me. He's doing enough of that already. Stomach full of two burgers and a large serving of cheese fries, I head toward the Arbitorum to meet Patricia. When I get there, I'm surprised to see her sitting with a young black woman just a few years older than me. She has large, dark eyes behind round glasses, red-brown skin, and hair that turns 
hair that runs slick and tight against her scalp before it blooms into a wide, soft puff at her crown. Bree, Patricia stands, and so does the younger woman. This is Mariah, a junior here and a fellow practitioner. I stare at this girl, and envy and curiosity bite at my insides, opening up old wounds. She knows root because her mother taught her. I could have been her. Isn't therapy supposed to be confidential? Patricia inclines her head. This won't be a, a normal session. After what happened yesterday at the graveyard, I realized we might need some assistance to get to the bottom of your mother's story and your own. I asked Mariah if she would join us today to explore some of what you experienced during your walk. She will keep anything you say in confidence. I'm sorry for catching you off guard. Her apology seems genuine. I wasn't sure Mariah would be able to join us on such short notice. We can meet alone if you prefer. There's no deception in her face, not a hint of manipulation. She means it. And Mariah, for her part, nods in agreement. I could send her away if I wanted, but if I do, I won't get answered. It's fine, I mutter. Mariah smiles, steps forward, and extends a palm. Hi, Bree. When I shake her hand, the black of her pupils blows wide. Wow, death knows you well, she declares, her voice breathy and low. I yank my hand from hers, a shiver rippling up my palm to my recently healed elbow. Nice to meet you, too. My bad, she says apologetically, shaking her hand like she'd just gotten it wet. I'm a medium. Didn't mean to freak you out. My eyes widen. You can talk to dead people? Why don't we sit first? Patricia intervenes and indicates the blanket near the bench, where there's three cafeteria to-go boxes. Mariah follows Patricia's suggestion without argument, so it seems like I'm expected to as well. Patricia kneels daintily and draws her leg and skirt to one side, while Mariah settles into a cross-leg position. The blanket is soft and warm and the grass and ground underneath hold heat from the under afternoon sun. After I decline their offer for lunch, Mariah reaches for one of the boxes. You a member of BSN? BSN? She smiles pleasantly. Black student movement. We meet up for meals and events, and we've got a room in the union, a magazine, performance groups, committees, it's pretty dope. Lots of ways in. I didn't realize there was a BSM, I murmur, shifting on the blanket. Another group, another place to belong, except this time it's not a secret. I can hear my father now. You need a community, Bree. Reading my face, Patricia assures me. It's only the first week of school, Bree. No need to beat yourself up if you haven't found everything and everyone. The gentle grace and warmth in their faces gets me by the throat, and my face contorts into a grateful expression that's out of my control. 
I take a deep breath, then give Patricia a wobbly smile. Mariah tells me more about BSM and invites me to a meeting next week. And I ask about her major because that's the question everyone on campus seems to ask first. Art history, she says around bites of roast beef. My parents weren't thrilled when I declared, but I studied abroad in Paris this summer and got a curation and archival internship at the Musée d'Orsay. That helped. I bet. I hadn't considered studying abroad at all. EC students couldn't apply through Carolina, but exchange programs were out there for high school students. How about you? I'm early college, so we don't really declare a major. We take a lot of liberal art classes and prereqs. Mariah leans forward to inspect my face, concern pulling at her mouth and eyes. You're so young. I didn't realize. I shrug. I'm tall. No, she says, pausing with her sandwich halfway down. That's not what I meant. I mean, you're so young to be so acquainted with death. I haven't heard anyone say something like that since the funeral. I look between the two of them and I see it. The pity. My wall is up before I reply. I'm sorry, how are you supposed to help me again? Patricia sets her sandwich aside. Bree, several things became clear to me during our walk yesterday. The first is that you yourself have a branch of root. One that gives you the ability to see root in its raw form. The second is what you revealed to me in Luisa's army, memory, that you are acquainted with the order of the round table. If that's true, then it follows that the only reason you're sitting here right now is because the order is not aware of what you can do. Am I correct? I fidget under her gaze, but nod. Oh, I'm relieved. Patricia says with a sigh. Our people have learned the hard way to hide our abilities from them, even when we were working in their homes and caring for their babies. I hadn't considered this and feel foolish for not asking about it earlier. How did the root crafters hide all they could do all the time from the scions, squires, pages, or anyone who took the first oath and was granted sight? Patricia reads my expression. We can be plenty invisible when they want us to be, she says dryly. Ruth Craft knows of their origins, their mission, and how they use their aether to fight the crossroads creatures. We also know from experience what they do to outsiders who use power, how they take them away, lock them up, or worse. I didn't tell anyone in the order about you, I say quickly, if that's what we're worried about. She placed a hand over mine. I didn't think you would, but you're still in danger every time you go near them. I know, I murmur. Then why do it? Mariah asks, confusion written on her face. Hiding what you are on top of hanging out with the good old boys club. 
twisting yourself all up into shape that's convenient for them. She wrinkles her nose. Sounds exhausting. I swallow around an unexpected lump. Because she's right. The looks Vaughn still gives me. Tours words the night of my oath. The look I get from a few of the eliminated pages that hang around the lodge. How much energy I spend wondering if they're thinking the same thing Vaughn is about why I'm Nick's page. That it's sex or race or both. Because between Nick's rules and the ones I already carry around with me every day, it is exhausting. I could argue that the order's not all white, that Sarah's there, but then I remember what she said about her dad and the dinner parties and get tired all over again. They're both doing a version of the same contortionist act that I'm doing. Figuring out how to survive in water that you know has sharks, because you have to. I don't feel any of that here with Mariah or Ann Patricia. Alice is my safe space, my home, and that would never change. But it's been months since I've held space with only black women. And it's not just safe. Safe. It's... It's a release. Lying to them right now feels like the straw that will break my back, and I can't afford my back to break. Not now. I don't believe my mother's death was an accident. I begin, and their eyes grow wide. Last week, I recovered a... memory. The night she died, one of their casters, a Merlin, erased my and my father's memories at the hospital, and I don't know why. I believe the order may have killed her, that something happened while she was enrolled here that made her a target. I've become one of their initiates to find out the truth, but I'm not with them. I'm against them. In the moment of silence after I finish, the wind picks up Patricia's scarf and Mariah's in my curls. It says something about the Order's reputation that neither of them denies my suspicion or even questions it. The same emotion passes over both of their expressions. Too quick for me to name. It's Patricia who speaks first. And do you have proof? I have Ruth's memories of something that happened on campus when my mother was here. If I pass their trials, I gain a title in their world, and they'll trust me. I can ask more questions, get answers, and then I'll get proof. You seek revenge? My eyes flutter. That specific word had never fallen from my mouth, but it didn't seem to need to, did it? It's always been there in a way. Revenge, retaliation, justice. But even those words aren't enough. A small voice whispers, they don't feel big enough. They don't feel deep enough. What did I say to Nick? Punish them for what they did. Punish feels better. Punish feels right. Bree, is that what you want? I want to find who's responsible. The words come fast from the quiet thoughts I've buried deep. 
Use my root abilities, the title I'll gain, and the context I have to bring justice anyone who was involved. Patricia regards me closely. You said you can resist their hypnosis? Yes, if I want to. Patricia and Mariah exchange a worried glance. What is it? Patricia's frown lines deepen. Well, what else can you do, Bree? I tell her everything. How it's not just the sight or the mesmer resistance. How I can smell castings. How I can feel cells gaze on my skin. And last, I tell them about the red, red mage flames. Mariah's jaw has long since dropped. But the mage flames bit must have tipped her over. She responds, holy shit. Language? Patricia chastises, but her face looks pretty holy shit too. She covers trembling fingers with her burgundy shawl to hide them from me. I think. And you've never called on an ancestor for, for any of these abilities? No. If you aren't asking to borrow these powers, then they've been bound to you somehow. Bound to me? I, I stutter, shaking my head. No, I mean... Like, bound by who? Her warning about the order and their powers comes back to me all in a rush. You think I'm a blood crafter? No, I've never... I know, Patricia says. This is why I've asked Mariah here today, to get answers. Mariah nods to Patricia. I definitely get it now, she says, then points a finger at me. You need to talk to your ancestors. I look between the two of them. You're serious, aren't you? The corner of Mariah's mouth twitches. On the other side, they have access to more knowledge than we do. When Doc Hartwood called me this morning, I set out offerings for my grandmother to pass the gift to me today. Sometimes, if I'm lucky, I can help other people talk to their ancestors too. My throat closes tight. My stomach clenches, and my fingers grip the earth beside my knees. Could I really see my mother? Talk to her like I did Louisa? Ask her what happened that night? You... You can help me talk to my mom? See her again? Mariah's face folds, and I can tell she expected my question. I can help you call for your people. But I don't control who answers. I nod and blink stinging, stinging tears away. My chest is full of the sharp pang of loss and an unexpected feeling of relief. When I imagine seeing my mother again, something I never thought possible, it feels like there are a thousand words that want to come out of my mouth at once. So very many that I cannot speak at all. Like she's read my mind, Patricia leans forward to touch my knee. Love is a powerful thing, more powerful than blood. Although both run through us like a river, she may answer you, but if she does not, she still loves you. I nod, but my emotions are swirling inside of me like a hurricane. How does it work? Mariah folds her hand on her lap. I amplify the connection between family members and then make the request. 
sort of like a sauna. The ancestor who responds might be your mother. It might be a grandparent or a great-grandparent, or even further back than that. If the signal's strong enough, I can help you speak to them. I nibble on my lower lip and wonder if my mother might not want to answer my call. Would she still be angry with me like she was the night before she died? Would she be proud of what I'm doing? Would she want me to stop? Would I stop if she asked me to? Okay, I say quietly. Mariah dressed first for me for me to face her until my hour crossed legs touch, knee to knee. She takes my hands in hers and closes her eyes. Patricia nods reassuringly, and I close mine too. We'll start slow, Bree, Patricia says. You'll just focus on your love for your mother. I pull an image of my mother up from my memory, and right away there's pain. I see her in her favorite summer house dress, drifting through our home to open up the windows. She's humming a melody, less tuned. I'm reading a book on our living room couch, and when she reaches over my head to open the window, she looks down with a broad, toothy smile against copper-brown skin. Behind her glasses, love, pride, and affection live in the corners of her eyes. I smile, sending my love back, but it twists and sharpens into something else. Steady. Patricia whispers. Focus on your love for her. Now imagine the love stretching back to your grandparents, then back further, like a strong thread connecting the generations. That's what Mariah will follow, like a line. I do my best to follow her instructions. Imagine my grandmother as my mother described her. But as soon as I do, grief slices through me. Patricia must sense my pain like she always does. Bree, it's alright. Take slow breaths. We're right here. You're not alone. I don't listen. All I can think of is loss. My loss of my mother. My mother's loss of hers. And what I didn't tell Patricia that my great-grandmother died before my mom was born, too. None of us met our grandmothers. Mariah makes a low whining sound. There are wells of life, deep ones, but they're all separated, tied off from one another. Because death breaks our connection, I want to scream. Death is not a thread. It is the sharp cut that severs us. Death separates us from one another, and yet it holds us close. As deeply as we hate it, it loves us more. My heart pounds to its rhythm. One mother, two mothers, three mothers, gone, 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 gone. Mariah gasps and releases my hands. My eyes open to find her eyes wide, her chest rising with rapid breaths. Something terrible happened to your family, didn't it? I scramble to my feet, panting and dizzy. 
Bree, Patricia reaches for me, but I can't look at her or Mariah. Patricia calls my name again and again, but her voice sounds further and further away. And no wonder, because I'm running from her again. I feel like a coward, but I don't stop. Mm. Oh, y'all. So that's the end of chapters 32. And I ain't gonna lie, Bree, you getting me mad with your running away from shit, girl. Especially when you finally getting the answers that you've been wanting to get. Okay? Um, Mariah obviously saw something. And I do feel like there is something that goes on in the history of Bree that doesn't fall on her. It's one of those generational things. And I feel for Bree because she's just out there lost in the dust. And that's why I can honestly say I feel that way when it comes to my mother. This is why I'm trying to figure out everything before she goes. Because she's the last lineage of her family that at least knows a little bit of something. And even her little bit of something isn't what is important, really. There's so much more family history. There's so much more that needs to be figured out and found out. So, yeah, I feel for Brie. Um, and now it's just time. It's time. So, yeah, that that was good. I hope you guys enjoyed chapters 31 and 32. Next week, we will be reading chapter 33. Let me know how y'all feel about, you know, what's going on right now. Like, how things have ended. Um... Because as, as Bree also says, she ain't, she's not doing this for them. This meeting today with Patricia and Mariah was a reminder of why Bree even joined this whole thing with the Squires and all of that. It was to get answers about why her mother was, t- was killed. Okay? And I, I do believe her mother was murdered. And I feel like her mother was a threat to them. I feel like her mother was fucking a beast, bro. And she was the one who fucking fought for her family back then which is why she wasn't killed off i don't know there's something and i feel like it's gonna be big when we find it out but yeah i hope you guys enjoyed hope i didn't sound too bad i'm sorry i know i I was sniffling sometimes and my breathing probably sounded like baby d but i definitely pushed through these allergies kicking my ass but thank you for joining thank you for allowing yourself to be here Give yourself a pat on the back and yourself a hug for, again, allowing yourself to relax for a moment. And until next week, stay true, stay you. Namaste.